0: This episode deals with disturbing material, particularly now in light of the thousands of remains of indigenous children found in unmarked graves across North America. We discuss the discovery of mainly indigenous human remains, including those of children, and a description of the state in which some of those remains were found.
1: Of course, you know, the guy fancied himself an amateur archaeologist, but he, he was far from that, you know. grave robber, you know, a ghoul, uh, that's what the guy was. I believe as far as his collecting goes, I think to him it was the challenge of discovering uh, humans' past to preserve it so it's not lost to the ravages of the time.
2: We still have museums, institutions, grave robbers, collectors, auction houses today that do everything they can to keep these items out of the hands of the peoples that they came from. So it is quite ironic, this idea about historic preservation and that it benefits only the colonizer and the colonizer's institutions.
0: An Indiana man who amassed a vast collection, thousands of items from around the world for over seven decades. Some of it displayed in his locally famous basement museum. Some hidden behind closed doors. And among the collection, enough human remains, stolen from mainly indigenous graves, to piece together 500 people. Hi, I'm Ben Lewis. Welcome to art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world. I've been writing and making films about art for over 20 years. The art world isn't just high culture, big money and creative genius. In this series, we uncover the ugliest crimes, the biggest scandals and the murky in between. Today, we conclude the story of Don Miller's basement. the FBI takeover of his farm that made international news.
2: I was not prepared to open boxes and cabinets and continually throughout the day encounter more and more human remains.
1: That's all we were, was dinosaur bones to the guy. You no, know, But to us, those are people. It's a contemporary story
0: rooted in colonialism and part of a history of stealing indigenous human remains approved and encouraged by various institutions, including museums. But how did a private collector in rural Indiana, a nonagenarian named Don Miller, even get on the FBI's radar and lead to the largest single recovery of cultural property in FBI history?
3: So 2013, uh, I think it was the 28th of October, and I was at home uh, having dinner with my wife and children. And so my supervisor calls me and she says, hey, we just got this complaint that came in. Agent Tim Carpenter is the head of the FBI's Art Crime
0: Division, and he's talking about the day he got the biggest tip of his career, a tip that would prove not only a legal minefield, but a moral one, too.
3: It alleges this guy, a collector of artifacts, and he's got this really massive collection of Native American stuff. And the tip also alleged that these were all stolen and looted. The tipster initially told us he thought that there were 200,000 pieces in this collection. And that's just stupefying. Like, what kind of a collector would have 200,000 of anything?
0: At first, Carpenter was
3: skeptical. We're always concerned about poison pen, right? A poison pen is just basically where someone alleges a bad act for the mere purpose of getting someone in trouble and they're just really angry and they have, you know, they want revenge or whatever. But it was when the anonymous tipster mentioned human remains
0: that Carpenter took this potential poison pen seriously.
3: I think that was that pivotal moment, right? That was that, uh, that moment in your life you don't see coming and, you know, you make a decision uh, that you can't possibly calculate the ramifications of. At this point, no one had any idea
0: that when Carpenter was finally able to open doors this collector wanted kept shut, that he'd confront a horrific reality and what the repercussions of finally seeing Don Miller's entire collection would be especially on the mainly indigenous communities called to collect their artefacts and their ancestors. About five months after that anonymous tip came in, after Carpenter spoke to a bunch of people who knew Don, he finally got to see the collector and the collection for himself, thanks to a bit of creative thinking because Carpenter was in a quandary. He couldn't just walk in without a warrant, and the information he had wasn't enough to get one. As luck would have it, the FBI had been out to see Dodd Miller years before, on an unrelated matter, something Carpenter says is classified and that he can't talk about. So Carpenter hashed a ruse, the first of two that got him in the door. He asked the agent, who went on that previous visit to Don's farm, for a
3: favor. Just call him up and tell him you want to come out and just follow up with him. And just tell him, by the way, there's another agent in the office here that works with me who is an avid collector. The plan worked. Don agreed to the visit, not
0: knowing it was his collection under investigation.
3: He lives out in the country uh, on a lot of acreage. And just as we pull up, he's got artifacts laying around out in the yard. Then we get up to the door, and you know, it was a replica, but he has this massive terracotta warrior statue at the front door, and he's got all these things. And then he invites us in, and we go in the house, and you could just tell, like, okay, Houston, we've got a problem. There's stuff everywhere. He's got artifacts crammed into every nook and cranny. There's stuff everywhere. And that's just on the main level. And that didn't even really, you know, belie the true scope of this thing.
0: And then Don takes Carpenter
3: down to the basement. And so as I'm walking down the step, the kind of room unfolds in front of you if you will, and that's when I was just like, what in the heck is going on here? As I walk into this space and it's just row after row after row of stuff, artifacts, and it is immediately clear that this is from all over the world. There is so much of it. There was just these little narrow pathways you had to walk and I was like, my God, we can't even walk in here. He's got shelves from floor to ceiling lining, all the walls, all the shelves are full. They're all placarded, so he's got labels up to tell you, oh, these are from South Dakota, these are from Peru, these are from Mexico, what have you.
0: Carpenter had
3: never seen anything like it, in scope and in sheer volume. And I think my wills were instantly turning like, oh my God, what am I gonna do now, right? Because it's this, you can't unring the bell. I'm here, I'm seeing it. There are clearly problematic pieces in here that are likely illegal.
0: carpenter was pretty sure Don Miller acquired some of these artefacts through unauthorised digs and in violation of several state and federal laws and international treaties. Laws and treaties that clearly say the removal of artefacts and cultural goods from their place and country of origin is illegal. And even though some of Don's collecting happened before these laws and treaties, when it wasn't necessarily illegal to have an Egyptian sarcophagus or pre-Columbian pottery, Don's collecting continued after they came into effect. While all of this was running through Tim Carpenter's mind, Don Miller was walking the agent around the room, very at ease among his collection, leading Carpenter from display case to display case.
3: He was giving me statements along the way, right? He was making statements that incriminated him in this illegal activity because he was happy to tell me he dug this up on this reservation and he, you know, I was in Haiti and I I took this, you know, cannonball out of Haiti and put it in my luggage and I'm just soaking it all up, you know? I'm just talking to him like, oh, that's fascinating. What about this piece? But Carpenter knew there was some stuff Don wasn't being all that open about. One of the interviews I conducted with a family member about how Don had been in New Orleans, uh, he frequented New Orleans, and he had been down there after a flood. And, you know, and it's, this happens in the south, right? Sometimes when the, the waters rise and caskets will come up out of the ground. So uh, according to the story, you know, Don had found one of these caskets that had floated up and opened it and took the skull out of the casket and brought it home with him. It was very dark, and you're kind of like, what— what in the heck is going on with this guy? Like, what kind of guy is this? You know, look, Don was friendly. He was very nice. He was cooperative. He wanted to show off the collection. But I did take away, like, right, something that I noted that first day is we didn't see any human remains as he's walking us around his kind of collection space, if you will. Now, there were doors that were closed. Uh, but remember, we're there as a guest, right? On his, You know, he's going to show us what he wants to show us.
0: The family member who told Carpenter about the New Orleans story had shown him pictures
3: of skulls on a shelf. Carpenter knew he had to come back. He still did not, on that second visit, still did not show us these rooms that had the human remains in them, right? But on this second visit, Don did show Carpenter another room. And so now we, we did go into one space that we didn't see in the first visit that had some bowls that he, basically like uh, a hodgepodge where he had put, like there were some teeth and all kinds of stuff in these little dishes. It wasn't a human skull. It was teeth in a bowl, but it was enough. We feel like we have probable cause, right? We have these few things that we've seen uh, we have all of these witness statements from people who have seen those other rooms. You know, on one hand, you're dealing with this guy and he's super nice and he's really intelligent and he's got this really amazing background. This guy, some would consider a hero, right? Because of his time with the Manhattan Project and all of these things that, and then we're getting all these other kind of allegations and we're, we're corroborating it, right? And we're finding evidence that these things might be true. And so what kind of guy is this, right? Who does that? Who goes and, opens up a casket and pulls somebody's head out of there and takes it home.
0: I'm Kareem Maddox, and I've been playing basketball since I was four years old. This year, I'm training for the Tokyo Olympics and wondering what it means to be an Olympian.
2: We didn't want to be used as some sort of political tool.
0: And what the Olympics mean to all of us.
2: If one of us can win a goal, then it will mean a lot to the people all over the world.
0: Because the Olympics have always been about more than just sports.
3: I do think that I achieved my greatness here.
0: Subscribe to The Greatness with Kareem Maddox. That's me, produced by USG Audio and Transmitter Media. Throughout the two weeks, the FBI investigated Don's collection, cataloging and counting every
3: item... Tim Carpenter says that Don was cooperative most of the time. He got agitated as he saw us removing all these human remains, and he came to me and asked me, and I'm using his words, this is the way he described. He said, um, Why are you taking all of my Indians? I understand why you're taking all the pots and stuff, but I don't understand why you're taking my Indians. It was just kind of a look at this abject racism, right? Like uh, that's all you – is the only way you could describe that. It was just – I kind of walked away thinking he he didn't assign any more moral equivalency to these ancestors than he did the pots. I walked away from him pretty angry, and I, I said something to him I probably shouldn't have said. You know, something to the, the effect of, well, if that's how you feel, you don't mind if I go down to the cemetery and dig up your grandparents and take them home.
0: At the end of their two-week operation, after counting every
3: artifact and object in Don Miller's collection... Our ultimate count was right at 42,000. That includes 2,000 human bones. The
0: FBI confiscated 7,000 items that they suspected were taken illegally, that violated national or international laws and treaties. That included all of the human remains. Surprisingly, it isn't necessarily illegal to possess human remains in the US. And in Don Miller's case, it would have been next to impossible to figure out what was taken illegally and what wasn't. Don actually handed over his collection to the FBI voluntarily. It wasn't until 1990, after decades of lobbying by Native Americans, that a law was passed to specifically address the looting and repatriation of indigenous remains.
2: It's actually not surprising that we need a law to protect Native American uh, ancestors and other belongings, because this country was founded on the dispossession of Native people. So for me it's not surprising and I'm, I'm grateful that the law exists.
0: Shannon O'Loughlin is a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma and is the executive director and lawyer for the Association on American Indian Affairs.
2: What is surprising to me more is that after 30 years of having this law, that there are still institutions and peoples fighting against the repatriation, even understanding the horrid, the horrendous history of taking and, and theft of Native American belongings and simply refusing to give them back, that's what surprises me.
0: But the Native American Greys Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA, is limited.
2: It doesn't provide protection for those same types of items that the federal government has declared are sensitive items. If they're held by a private individual or an entity who hasn't taken any federal monies.
0: So that crucial law didn't apply to Don's collection of human remains. Instead, the FBI had to rely on a hodgepodge of other state and federal laws around how and where Don did his digging. In the end, Don Miller was never charged. In March of 2015, he died, almost a year after the FBI pulled onto his farm and took over a portion of his collection. He was 91 years old. We're not sure what happened to the rest of the 35,000 or so items that the FBI didn't take and that remained on his farm. We reached out to Don's wife, but we never received a reply.
1: Thank you very, very, very much for, for all the work that, that you have done and for, uh, for recuperating these archaeological uh, pieces that, that are part of our heritage, part of our history, part of what uh, we are as Colombians.
0: The FBI is still working on repatriating many of the 7,000 pieces taken from Don's collection. Agent Tim Carpenter says they've returned about 40% of the items. 38 antiquities, including pottery, were given back to Colombia. Hundreds of items like armor, figurines, and tools were returned to China. Artifacts were also sent back to countries like Haiti and Canada. And as for all the indigenous remains, there have been two repatriations in the US so far one with the Hopi tribe in northeastern Arizona and the other repatriation with the Mandan, Hidaza, and Arikara Nation, the Lower Brule Sioux Tribe, and the Crow Creek Sioux Tribe.
1: We reburied some of the remains in uh, South Dakota on the Crow Creek Reservation because uh, that's where the guy had gotten them.
0: Pete Coffey One Feather is a former historic preservation officer for the Mandan, Hidaza and Arikara Nation.
1: And that was on the Crow Creek Reservation. The um, the tribal government there uh, gave an acre of land in their buffalo pasture. Kind of fitting. I liked it. You know the fact that we buried these remains with the buffalo back there, and the buffalo can look after them. And then we had uh, uh, ceremonial people, medicine people from the Lakota Nation there. And uh, we also had uh, Rikurah and Mandan elders there too. And so after we finished you know covering the remains and all of that, we had you know ceremonial food and tobacco, and then each tribe respectively offered their prayers for those people.
0: Don Miller and his unconscionable collection is just one example of this problem. It's estimated that around 200,000 Native American remains are still in museums and other institutions in the U.S. alone. And in the hands of private collectors?
3: How many Don Millers are out there? Uh, We suspect lots. As the baby boomer generation dies off, right, I think we're going to find a lot of these collections are passed down. And uh, the younger generations we're seeing it, uh, where folks are like, well, I don't want anything to do with this stuff and, hey, FBI, can you come and tell us what to do with it?
0: The sad reality is that grave robbing and disturbing indigenous remains aren't things of the past. There's still a market for Native American remains and cultural objects. Indigenous peoples continue to fight to protect their ancestors and their sacred sites.
2: I don't understand why there hasn't been a stronger change of perception in American culture about Native American items and objects. Still today there are, especially in the spring, there was just this slew of auctions, both domestically and internationally selling sensitive uh, Native American objects. You know, those auction houses, those collectors won't talk with us. They refuse to. They want the commercial value of those items. As long as there still remains any kind of commercial incentive, they'll continue to be looting and grave robbing.
0: You might think I hate this world, the world of art and galleries and museums and collectors, criticizing it like I do, like this series has. But actually, I love it, deeply. I love it so much I can't stand to see it misused, disrespected, faked, or manipulated. And here we are with this episode at the most extreme line that collecting can cross. The body parts of people from one culture dug up from their graves by people from another culture. It's the most gruesome crime you can commit in the fields of art, artefacts, museums and collecting. And after a long time covering this world, a lot of change still needs to happen, especially, as Shannon said, around indigenous remains and artefacts. And it needs to happen faster. I also think we're getting better at understanding when collecting goes too far, and when we step over the legal and moral line. In a lot more cases, we're less likely to say the past is the past, what's done is done, and more likely to say it's time to right the many wrongs done in the name of art. And there are still many wrongs. When it comes to art crimes, scandals and the murky in between, we've barely scratched the surface. This episode was senior produced by Debbie Pacheco. It was produced by Sarah Winter and me. Our associate producers are Jacob Lewis and Alexis Green. Mix and sound design by Philip Wilson. Our executive producers are Kathleen Goldhar, Katrina Onstad, Stuart Cox and Jago Lee. Our USG audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Josh Block, Jennifer Sears and Daniel Welsh. I'm your host, Ben Lewis. This is an Antica Productions podcast in collaboration with USG Audio. For more information, go to usgaudio.com. One, two, three,
1: four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car...